Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Cardboard Memories, The Phoenix Tube Company, Matt Giuliano's Play Like a Pro Baseball, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DeBrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. And our first guest tonight was drafted in 1965. He's also widely regarded as one of the best and most durable linebackers of all time. He started as a football player for the University of Illinois and then the Chicago Bears. He became a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1979, played nine seasons in the NFL for the Bears. At 6'3", 245 pounds, he was one of the most feared and intimidating linebackers of all time. His style of play, for me, defined what toughness was for my entire generation of pro football fans. It's an honor to welcome the eight-time Pro Bowl, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, a member of the NFL's 75th anniversary all-time team, as well as the 60s all-decade team and the 70s all-decade team. His Illinois Fighting Illini number 50 jersey has been retired, as well as his iconic number 51 Chicago Bears jersey. It's an honor for AJ and I to welcome Hall of Famer Dick Buckus. Welcome, Mr. Buckus. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. So you take a look at it, and you take a look that you're the youngest of eight children. You also grow up in Roseland area of Chicago, Southside, which is known for its toughness. Does all that make Dick Buckus? Well, I think it had. Uh, I guess you can say it had uh, some influence on me in growing up. Um, you know, I, I don't, I know it's not this way with families nowadays, but, you know, my brothers, uh, you know, treat me kind of rough. And, uh, and <laughs> that, that's, o- that's overall like, it helped. that's kind of shocking to believe that anyone would <laughs> treat Dick Buck as tough. Well, but that's, that's, you know, that, that's saying something about your brothers. <laughs> I was, I was the smallest of the nine kids, that's including my sisters. Uh. <laughs> Did your uh. sisters beat you up also? Uh, they weren't even, I never even lived with them. They were gone. Oh, you know, I was like an uncle when I was one. <laughs> now, but, uh, the, 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 get back to the question though, that, no, it was, uh, it was, you know, it wasn't any rougher than any other areas. It's just, uh, I think the way you're brought up that, you know, you have to work for what you get. Uh, there's no free lunches. Now of all the sports, was football your first love? Oh Yeah. Yeah, but it was actually uh, the first thing I was able to do uh, as far as organized sports was actually I was a swimmer because uh, you could start at eight years old, eight or nine years old. And uh, I was very fortunate in, a, in that at our pool there on the south side, Griffith Natatorium, uh, the older kids, uh, you know, we had an excellent water polo team. And as it turns out, two of, uh, two of the, these brothers – Sam and Bill Coyster were actually the captains for the, the Olympic uh, water polo team. So we had some pretty good uh, caliber swimmers in water polo. And, you know, water polo is a pretty tough sport. And uh, so we, we, we were playing that at a young age. And, uh, you know, they were always kicking you under the water, pulling you under, you know, when we tried to play with the older kids. So I guess it all added up into just... Uh, I just was burdened with a big grudge <laughs> to take it out on somebody else. Yeah, people don't realize how difficult and how tough water polo is. Actually, Doc Emmerich, the hockey announcer, 
for the Olympics called water polo, and he said that he was shocked when these guys were getting out of the water that these guys were all bloody. He said, yeah. like he said, they look like hockey players getting off the ice when they got out of the pool. But they, yeah, very well, I'm, unlike at the Olympics where they got cameras on the water, you can see them kicking them <laughs> doing everything. So now, after high school, you played center and linebacker from 62 through 1964 at University of Illinois. What were some of the other options on the table, and why did you choose University of Illinois? Uh, well, uh, our, our class, uh, you know, you can get out. It was a vocational school, and you can get out uh, early uh, in the year. There were two classes, and I, I wanted I got out in January, which meant I could start college like immediately the next month, February or March, whatever it is. So I really didn't have that many opportunities to, to visit schools. I only maybe went to five schools, and it was narrowed down to probably Notre Dame and uh, Illinois. But I, when I went on a recruiting trip there, was for the team banquet in uh, Finally, after the banquet, they said, well, do you, do you have any questions? And I, you know, I kind of thought I might end up getting married in college. So I asked where, you know, I really didn't get to see the marriage facility. And, and they, ah, you don't get married, you know, by that blah, blah, blah. And so the very next night, I, uh, I asked the University of Illinois coach that was recruiting me, Bill Taylor, about it. And he said, oh, yeah, we got brand new facilities and everything else. And as it turns out, Bill Taylor becomes my daughter's godfather, and my daughter went to Notre Dame, so they at least got somebody from our family there eventually. You take a look at your college career, 63-64, you win the Chicago Tribune Silver Football in 63 as the Big Ten's most valuable player, named the American Football Coaches Association Player of the Year in 64, finished sixth in the Heisman Trophy balloting, which is pretty amazing. It's a rare accomplishment for a lineman or any defensive player for that matter. You're only one of two players to have their uniforms retired by the university. Uh, the other one is... Uh, Red Grange, so you know, in rarefied company there. Looking back on your college years, what's the one thing you remember most about the the whole college experience? Well, I probably when I went there, uh, and even my you know freshmen couldn't play. They had a you played freshman football, and it was uh, just a recruiting job that uh, Bill Taylor and Pete Elliott, the head coach, did. They they got a lot of a uh, of us players out of Chicago, uh, and you know, I, 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 unlike today, where a lot of kids base their decision on whether the team's going to be on TV a lot or uh, do they win all the time, whatever. Uh, you know, it took like the middle of my sophomore year to break the 15-game losing streak, and the following year we were in the Rose Bowl. So, I it's like I tell my nephew who's coaching the line at Illinois, you know, you know, when you tell these kids, you know, you know, hey, great, it's great to be on TV, blah, 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 but wouldn't you want to just also be included in the guys that really turned the program around from being losers or doormats to, you know, winners, and he just said the kids aren't like that anymore. They just want to go on TV, and they want to, you know, and they all expect to go to the pros where, you know, I was I was wondering if I'd even make the team, let alone end up playing professional football, coming out of high school, that is. 
That's another effect that we can look at ESPN yeah. towards. Right. Obviously, I mean, that's true. We, you don't think about that. They all want to be in a program exactly. that's nationally televised, and it's it's so interesting. They the want way the 15 dollars, of fame forever. Well, it's the way dollars it, have now program. influenced the game. Now, it's 1965, you drafted in the first round by both the Denver Broncos of the American Football League and your hometown team, the Chicago Bears of the NFL. Um, they had three first-round picks in that draft. And if I remember correctly, they used the pick they acquired in a trade from Pittsburgh to draft you. They right. used their own pick after you on Gal Sayers. So right. a, a couple of things here. Was Denver ever a realistic option for you? And what do you remember about draft day? Obviously, you know, it's different now than it was then. And do you ever wonder if your career would be any different if Pittsburgh had retained their pick and chose you? Um. Uh. You know, I talked to uh, uh, one of the Roonies at the Hall of Fame, and uh, they were just kidding around that, uh, you know, they didn't, I don't know if they even would have drafted me back then, but, you know, the, back then it was, there still was a war going on with the American Football League, and it was almost like college recruiting. Uh, I remember Red Miller coming to the last couple games at Illinois and whatever. So my coaches, uh, thought and that I would be, you know, a high draft choice and I needed some representation. So they, they called a guy from Chicago who had worked with the old Chicago Stadium and, book, and he would uh, represent the stadium uh, when Illinois played basketball there. And uh, so he took me on as his client. And I remember going on a Friday, coming up from Champaign and going to Chicago and meeting him. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Phipps brothers were there, and uh, and he's talking to them, kind of kind of rough. I mean, I was, you know, I was taken aback that, you know, hey, these guys, you know, are, and he's telling them, well, we'll spend Dick's money the way we want to, and this and that. And all of a sudden, oh, we got to go. So he shoes them guys out of the office and. You know, and uh, playing in Denver is like playing in Gary, Indiana. We don't, you know, we'll get this. <laughs> we'll, we'll get them traded to the Jets because he, he knew Sonny Werblin. So he said, "Well, let's go. We got a quick uh, run over to the Bears' office, and you know, we've got a meeting over there." And I'm like, "Well, why are we going over there?" Because they sent a telegram to my line coach, uh, Bert Ingerson, who who actually played with Hallis. He was an old guy and. He, he told me at school, he said, I can't imagine this telegram I got from the Bears, and it's, they're claiming that how you slowed down and everything, and I'm like, what? And he says, yeah. So I'm asking the attorney, why are we going there because of this telegram? He says, ah, that was just a mistake probably. Well, we'll get that cleared up. So we're in the office with Hallis, uh, Georgie Allen and Muggsy Hallis, and uh, so I bring it up to the attorney, and he brings it up to Hallis that, you know, Let's clear this up. There's some telegram or something that you sent, and uh, it's kind of derogatory about Dick's skills or what have you. And so the old man looked at George and said, "Well, what's this about, George?" And, and, and uh, George Allen says, "Well, that's coach. That's something we send to everybody. I, don't, I, I think there's a mistake here." And then my attorney says, "Well, if, the, if you send it to everybody, there must be a record of it." And the, and the old man goes, "Yeah, George, go get it and let's clear this up." So he leaves the room, and the old man's trying to smooth it over. And so George comes back, and he says, huh, the secretary must have lost it and <laughs> find it. And we're like, uh -huh. and I'm like, I, you know, I'm so naive. I go, what the heck is going on here? 
So we leave because I had to get I catch a plane to New York for the the Ed Sullivan show and the look all American stuff and uh, the draft is on that Saturday. So as I'm getting in the cab to go to the airport, my attorney tells me, he says, "Well, I know you're going to be at the Waldorf, and then after the after the uh, look all American thing, you're going to be at the Coca Cabana or whatever." And uh, I, I think they're going to come back with an offer, and I'm thinking like well how do they know because <laughs> the drafts tomorrow like you say they had three draft choices but they weren't the first three in the whole draft so i well all right whatever so i go to new york i'm there with my coach at the coca cabana craig morton and a bunch of guys and every guy had like a representative from their from their city and my guy was Vern buell he was uh president of high-grade foods in Chicago, and he's just hanging around. And I'm like, you know, what the heck is this guy? So here, lo and behold, here's a call. I'm wanted on the phone, and it's my attorney saying, see, I told you they'll come back with an offer. Here's what it is. And I kind of mouthed it to my coach. And he said, hey, that's, you know, that's good. You might as well give it the okay. And so he's, hey, you're going to shake on this. I'm shaking on it. I said, whatever, if that's a deal, fine, let's go. And I'm like, I hang up, and I'm like, huh? how do we know I'm going to even be drafted up that <laughs> yes. early? Well, lo and behold, uh, I'm drafted <laughs> by the Bears. <laughs> and uh, and I, I couldn't figure anything out until I was packing uh, in my room, and there was a knock at the door, and there was Lamar Hunt or somebody, and he comes in and he's saying, well, yeah, we got to get Gale Sears to come with Kansas City, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. He's going to be a bear because, you know, I saw him and played against him in a couple All-Star games. I want him on our team. So uh, so to make a long story short, I, I, I go back to Champaign, the school. I come up for the signing. Uh, I do the signing and all that. And we go back to the attorney's office, and I look at the contract, and it was half of what he told me it was. Oh. And uh, so I said, geez, this is, you know. And I, you know what? I, it didn't even bother me that much. It just, you know, I was just so glad that I, was, I didn't have to pay them to play. So I, I thought I made out on the deal anyway. And when when the Saint, or when the judge took a long time getting Namus deal together, because I remember meeting uh, Sonny Werblin, and he says, in 20, "If we had twenty more minutes, we would have had you with the Jets." And I said, "Well, whatever. oh man!" So oh, back then, see, you had to say that. Back then, oh, well, wow. But uh, you know what? It all worked out. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. no, out. <laughs> for the people in Chicago, not yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's, it was amazing. It was everybody. Everybody knew, you know. Everybody, it was all hands off. Uh, it was, it was like a rigged uh, deal. Uh, I know they'll deny that, but. Uh, well, do you think the other way around? Was if you hadn't agreed to the contract, they wouldn't have drafted you. They drafted you because they knew they had you, you know, basically sewn up. Right. Well, they 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 were in cahoots with the attorney. So. Yeah, right. And then once and, I, and, it, and as yeah. naive as I would have been, I just you know I yeah. you know I gave my word, and that was it. Yeah. So. So then, you know, you have that initial dealing with a legend, and, you know, you grew up in Chicago, so I have to imagine that George Hallis, who is the owner, the head coach, dates back to the franchise at that point since 1920. So I guess he's probably about 70 years old at that point. Uh, Take us back to how a 23-year-old Dick Butkus felt the first time on field with George Hallis. Well, I just uh, just thought I was very lucky. I was 
you know, I thought I was sort of a student of the game. I always, you know, not necessarily a Bear fan, but uh, I just like pro football in general. And I just thought, well, this this is this is what it's all about. We're playing, you know, in 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 a baseball field, uh, which is painted, uh, you know, about mid year. They have to paint it to keep it green because it's just plain dirt. Because <laughs> that's where we practice and corner of the end zone are two by fours covering up the dugout and then on the other end you run too far or too fast you run into the wall and uh, the locker room was I think too uh, too small for a basketball team and it was just to me that was the pros the pros you know when you're a pro you can play anywhere you can play on the street uh, you know not unlike today where everything is prim and proper and you know, you don't get dirty and all that stuff. Uh, and I just thought I was, you know, for me at least, I, I couldn't have been better. I'm playing with the guy who practically started pro football, and uh, and here's my dream, and I'm playing for this guy. And he was funny. He, he'd come up with different deals every once in a while. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I think Gail and I were the only ones that dealt with him at that time. Everybody else dealt with the general manager. And I would go in to talk. I mean, you know, I could use the phone in the office, which is probably tapped. I could talk to my representation out there. Uh, and then I'd go back in and we'd talk. And then he'd tell me, like, you know, listen, uh, you know, the people don't come to see you. They come to see Gail, see him run. And then in talking with Gail, he said, you know, Gail, they don't come to see you. They come to see Dick because he's from here, you know, and he used use us against each other during contract time. Hey, so, it must be something about those Chicago owners, you know, Charles Kaminsky. They must have all, <laughs> right. they, they probably went to the same school of management. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Gale a lot, you know, over the course of the, the interview so far. You get a great sideline view. To me, one of the greatest running backs of all time. Yep. Things back then were a little different because, you know, now the defense really doesn't get an opportunity to sit and watch the game because they're huddled around, you know, an iPad and viewing yep. all different photos of, of different offensive formations in the last five or six plays. Uh, so I I assume back then you had a chance to actually watch Gale do his thing. You played against some of the greatest running backs of the day. Um, where would you rank Gale in, in the time that you played out of all the running backs and who was similar to him, you know, defending against? Well, I'd say uh, at that time it was, like I always say, it's, you know, Jim Brown was the fullback and Gale Sears was the halfback. And people would say, oh, geez, you played with Gale. I said, that's right. No one, no one ever touched him. I never played against anybody that was his equal because I practiced against him. And, you know, back in those days, we hit all the time and uh, scrimmaged all the time. And he was, he was something else. And, he, he, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't come out of the game. I mean, he returned punts. He returned kickoffs. And I was on all the teams myself, all the special teams. And it was just, you know, it was, we took a lot of pride in our punt returns and our kickoff returns. And, you know, we, I was like in the wedge. And I knew if we could just bust him through there, it was Katie by the door. This guy was unbelievable. And um, I guess, you know, people would would, would put uh, Peyton right there or, or maybe even, you know, put him first. But uh, the only thing I would say, yeah, Peyton was good, and he, he lasted a lot longer than Gail did. And uh, that, to me, is important, is the longevity, how long he can stay up there. 
but he would, nobody touched him, uh, Gale, when I was playing. I, I couldn't tell you who, you know, who would have been his match. I don't think there are that many that were out that outstanding. Yeah, it was an amazing era for football back then. And, and you lived through something that some of our younger listeners might, they, they can't really relate to this. Uh, we're talking about 1968. Racial tensions were at an all-time high. There's an amazing friendship between Gale and Brian Piccolo, which was immortalized in Brian's song, which opened up for us uh, a lot of women <laughs> would then tolerate football because of this movie. Um, yep. One of the most memorable movies of my generation, a movie in which you actually played yourself. For our younger audience who hadn't seen the movie or know of this amazing friendship, can you tell us about these two men and what you remember about Brian Piccolo and Gale Sayers' friendship? Well, uh, as... You know, when Gail and I, uh, we were at the college all-star game uh, in Chicago, so we we didn't go to training camp uh, until after that uh, college all-star game where you played the, the previous year uh, NFL champions. But uh, Brian went went right to training camp, and you know he was a, a journeyman back, uh, just a good guy, and knew his place, and there was just. You know, it was, I didn't even know they roomed together, to tell you the truth, because uh, I didn't, I wasn't even, you know, I never worried about who was rooming with who. I'm worried about getting the calls right, and, uh, you know, all the stuff I had to do. But he was a good guy, and, and uh, you know, he was from uh, Lauderdale, uh, and I used to go pick him up. Uh, sometimes we'd drive in on Saturdays together. And as it got colder and maybe there was some snow, you know, he lived in this area called Beverly Hills uh, on the south side of Chicago, which by no means equals the Beverly Hills in California, but that's what the neighborhood was called because there was one big hill there. And I used to, when i pick him up, I'd drive across his lawn, you know, after a fresh <laughs> snow, and I'd peel and spin around, and he'd laugh. Oh, yeah, this is great. And, and I'm laughing because come springtime, <laughs> He'd have to replace his his whole lawn. He never caught on. <laughs> I don't know how many years I did that, you know, and he just thought it was funny as hell because he's from Lauderdale. He didn't know. Mm. So we had a lot of fun with him, and uh, we come to play Atlanta, and uh, it was really hot down there, and, and I remember coming in late. We lost, I guess, but I come in late, and for some reason his – Locker 41 was near mine. It was maybe at a corner. And uh, he was having a, a can of soda or something, and I said, give me that. I said, I'm so damn thirsty. And he said, no, no, you don't want to have any of this. You might catch what I got. Because he was, like, coughing and stuff. And then that was it. That was a Sunday. I, I think that Monday he went for test in New York or something, and that's when that's when it was the beginning of the down downhill slide. Uh and he took it, you know, it was just like, you know, something was irritating him and never knew what tech hit him. Yeah, and if people haven't seen that movie, it's definitely something you should go out and get on Netflix. An amazing story, a great and, movie. Also. And as a, story, as a movie, it is really right on. I mean, it is very accurate, the original Brian song. It's funny because you take a look at that era. I mean, if I remember correctly, I, I think maybe in the same calendar year, Paper Lion with George Plimpton with, with right. the Lions was also the, around yep. that time. They don't make football movies around real things anymore, unfortunately. Well, Blindside. 
The blind side. That's blind true. Side. That's that's good. Yep. That's you're right. All right. Despite playing on some pretty awful Bears team, you get selected to eight Pro Bowls. You're all time. You know, all league six times. Your rookie season, you lead the Bears in tackles, interceptions, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, and regularly lead the team in these categories throughout your career. You recovered 27 footballs in your career, 27 fumbles in your career, an NFL record at the time of your retirement. You're one of the most feared players of your era, even appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated in 1970 with the caption, The Most Feared Man in the Game. You had one of the most productive seasons in 70 with 132 tackles, 84 assists, three interceptions, two fumble recoveries. Yet over the course of your nine seasons with the Bears, your record was 48-74-3. How frustrating was it for you and Gail, two Hall of Famers, with a pretty bad supporting cast to, to live through that? Well, it, it, it was. But the funny thing is, is every time I went to training camp, you know, I just, I thought we were going to win, and, you know, I don't know if I was just fooling myself or whatever, but I always thought I could improve. There's always something you could do better, and uh, so I looked at it that way, and, you know, our our offense, other than uh, my rookie year, 65, was very anemic, and it seemed like we were on the field all the time, and uh, I don't know. it, It was always okay, the team's not doing well, so I must not be doing, I can get better, and maybe that'll help. And uh, when, you know, really, we really just didn't, uh, really didn't draft well after that and uh, just didn't have the, the, the number of quality players that we needed in, you know, key positions. We've always had trouble with quarterbacks. Uh, and, you know, we had Gale, but, you know, we uh, I don't know how to explain it. We just... We weren't that good. I mean, but, you know, we took so much pride on defense that, you know, and, and I think the, the good fans of Chicago and the knowledgeable fans that they are, they they knew we were busting our tail trying to get it done on defense, and Gale was trying to do it on offense, and, uh, but we just needed more quality, skilled players, and we just didn't have them. Now, AJ and I had Brian Jordan with us a, a few weeks ago, and he said he, the thing he loved most about the game, more than an interception, was the big open field hit. He felt that they've regulated that out of the game now, and he said if he was playing today, he wouldn't enjoy it as much. So what gave you the biggest thrill on the field? A big hit, a sack, an interception, and how do you think if you know, the game, the way it's played today, was played back in your era, how you'd fare? Well... You know, the Bears, uh, you know, were called Monsters of Midway for a reason. I mean, they they were known and always, uh, you know, had a history of great defenses. And and you wanted, I, I just felt, you know, I was fortunate that I had uh, the ability to play with, with teams that had that reputation. And and we really, we really did. I mean, we, we might have got beaten on the scoreboard, but, you know, if you, you know, people didn't really like to play us because they knew they were going to be in a game, in a, in a physical one at that. Uh, today, it's, it's different. You know, they, they, they hardly practice at all. Uh, I remember having lunch with Lovey Smith a number of years ago, and he asked me, like, two questions. Did you hit during the season and did I, or training camp? And I said yes, sometimes twice a day. And uh, during the season, yes. During this evening, we did. Now they don't. I, I just am amazed. Uh, 
that they make any decent tackles at all because <laughs> the game is so fast now. I mean, how do you practice tackling if you don't practice it? I mean, <laughs> how, how are you supposed to execute if you don't practice it? Well, how do That's you why I think you see a lot of, like, flying tackles, like flying blocks and grab on, you know, grabbing them and things like that instead of, you know, really shoulder shoulder tackles that punish people. And, you know, if, if I'm a receiver, getting to the rules now, if, let's say I'm a receiver and the ball is about, I'm about to make the catch and I really don't have time to turn to see the defender and the defender comes, I catch the ball, split second, and then all of a sudden, bam, the guy hits me in the head like with a forearm. Okay, throw the flag. But if I have enough time, when I catch the ball, I turn, I see you coming after me, about ready to make a hit, so I get ready to take the blow, you're getting ready to make the blow, and our helmets meet some way, they throw a flag on the defender, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't agree with that at all. You know, two things uh, happened this week that sort of struck me as interesting along the lines of this, and the rules enforcement. Two fines slash suspensions were overturned on appeal. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder, one was, was Ed Reed and right. the other was Kenny Phillips. And I'm starting to wonder what, what your take is on this. Is there any significance of that, or is that also, is that tied into the overturning of the suspensions uh, for the Saints for, for Bounty Gate? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know what, what they're trying to do. I can just say this. Uh, I, uh, the last two years, I've been in front of the public there at uh, in Las Vegas, uh, the number one question from a lot or the majority of the fans is, uh, isn't the game getting, you know, uh, where, the, you know, people are starting to wear skirts or whatever. <laughs> that I'm, I'm telling you, the league is, I understand what they're trying to do, make, make it safe or whatever. But when you ask people, even though all those guys who lined up in Philadelphia for that lawsuit about the concussions and all the head injuries, I don't know. I, I thought I saw a report where when asked, even asking those players, would you still play if you knew back then uh, that it could be detrimental to your health, every one of them across the board said they would still play. So, you know, it's a violent game. I, You know, they're, they're trying to make it, Nonviolent, and I think it takes away from the game, and and a lot of the fans don't like it either. It's interesting that you mention that. You take a look at the game, and and we'll close with this. Uh, you look at the popularity of of the game, uh, the NFL Network, fantasy football, Twitter. You were a popular player when there was no cable TV. AJ and I here in New York very rarely got to see Bears games unless they were playing the Giants or unless it was a, you know, a Thanksgiving Day game. Uh, we would see NFL films or, or this week in the NFL, yet you were one of the most popular players league-wide. Do you ever wonder what the Dick Buckus brand would be worth today if you played? <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's still amazing. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know how many years it's been since 1973, and and, uh, you know, they still do the comparisons and could I play today and this and that. Uh, I don't know. I just, you know, I guess I accomplished what I tried to do. You know, I, I always wanted to play the game, uh, try to be the best uh, at my position, get in the Hall of Fame. I did that. And, 
you know, yet still remembered. So I must have done something right. And 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 I think the the the, the audiences are changing because the way the game is played, they they never saw it before then how it was played right. unless they saw like some old NFL films. So I think because of the popularity of the NFL right now, you know, you're getting people who are young, are starting to watch it, and they're accustomed to seeing this, these rules that, you know, have players wearing skirts. They don't see the old-time players. And then, you know, because I get a lot of a lot of guys that are, I mean, they're, they're grown men now, and they say, oh, yeah, I used to watch your films before the game to get pumped up and all that. Wow. <laughs> I don't I don't see any of these films that I would, I mean, current, <laughs> yeah. current guys get pumped yeah. up. Yeah, uh, especially not the Jets. It's interesting. Right. You're right. You know, it, and it's funny because I've turned into my father because it's always like you yeah. sit and you watch any sport, and, you know, it was always like, oh, it was much yeah, better in my day. And, like, when I speak of Dick Butkus, you know, there's not a guy in the league that could match the toughness of Dick But I've turned into my father, you know, somewhere along the line. But it's true. I, I mean, like I said, you define toughness for our generation, uh, and it was a thrill for AJ and I to have you on our show tonight. And uh, where is, if people want to catch up with you, where's the best pay- place to find out what Dick Butkus is up to? Oh, probably on our, our foundation website. You know, we're, I've got a thing called I Play Clean, which we're trying to educate high school kids about the dangers of steroids, and that's at iplayclean.org or the org. Great. And we will put that on our wall of fame after the show tonight. Thank you so much, Mr. Butkus. We really appreciate your time tonight. You got it. Thank you. Hall of Famer Dick Butkus with us.